Well, good morning. I'm Arthur, and uh, I'm here with my wife, Jo, and our two kids, <coughs> and our good friends, Drew and Seiko. Uh, thank you so much for welcoming all of us this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, um, I met Pastor Cabot through our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America. And uh, Cabot's been a great encouragement to me personally. These days I serve with Unlocking the Bible, which is a Christian organization associated with the Orchard Evangelical Free Church down in the northwest suburbs. I'm involved with training current and future pastors, church planters, and missionaries. It's just such a great joy and privilege to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please keep them open there to 1 Timothy 6 or follow along in uh, the worship folder. And as we turn to God's word this morning, I'm just going to say a brief prayer. So please bow with me. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we come before you as your people ready to receive your truth from your word. God, make our hearts prepared. Speak to us. Speak through your word. Spirit, move. Wield your sword, which is God's word, to transform us into people pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you remember your first job, you know, your, your first real job with a paycheck. I do. I, uh, I was working as a legal assistant in a law firm in Washington, D.C. right after college. It was a great experience for me. I remember going across the street to visit Smithsonian Museums on my lunch break. I remember they had free coffee in the break room and free cocoa. I drank so, I consumed so many of those mini marshmallows that year. Uh, but what I don't actually remember is a job description. I think I kind of just uh, went to my supervisor and said, you know, what should I do? What should I do next? Now, that may work for some jobs, but generally, the more responsibility you have in your work, the more important a job description is. If you're entrusted with leadership, you need to have a clear sense of what you're responsible for and what you'll be held accountable for. Now, our current series title is Christian Leaders. And as a church, you're walking through this book, 1 Timothy. And in a sense, the whole book is a job description for Timothy as a Christian leader. You know, what are his priorities? What character does he need to cultivate? What does he need to watch out for? What mindset does he need to have as he leads God's people? Now, we're not all pastors in this room, and we're certainly not all leading a first century church in the Middle East. But the vision of Christian leadership that's in this book is for us. And I have to say this. The vision of Christian leadership in this book is especially for you, LifeSpring Church, at this season of your ministry journey. 
I mean, praise God for what he's done. He has gathered you here to worship him. You are pursuing Christ together. You are worshiping God together. He has done a great thing. But you know God has much more for Spring Grove through you that's in store. There are more people to be saved. There is more worship to be offered together. There is more glory for God to receive in this community. And what is present in this room is only a seedbed of the harvest God will reap. So that means you are the leaders God has entrusted to care for this church, to guard her and to grow her. So God has a word for you today. Now, last week, Pastor Cabot shared about the church as family from 1 Timothy 5. This image is absolutely essential. The church won't flourish if leaders don't cultivate this mindset of a family. It should govern our relationships and inform the love that we share together. Family should define the commitment we have toward one another. But as Paul ends this letter, he's not thinking about the church's family. No. As Paul brings this letter to a close, here is what is on his heart. He wants Timothy to understand if the church is going to flourish under his leadership, he has to have the mindset of battle. That's what the last chapter is about. Leaders in any church, and you, leaders of LifeSpring Church, have to approach church life with a wartime mentality. This is absolutely essential if the church is going to move forward in mission. It's absolutely essential if the church is going to maintain purity and integrity. It's absolutely essential if this church is going to fulfill God's mission for her in Spring Grove. I mean, look at 1 Timothy 6, 12. Paul writes it very clearly. Fight the good fight of faith. And as leaders within God's church, we are in a fight. It's a good fight, but it's a battle. And no church will flourish if leaders don't operate from that mindset. Now, we're going to unpack this battle imagery through this chapter today. And specifically, we're going to three, see three aspects of our fight as Christian leaders. Three aspects of our fight as Christian leaders. The first aspect of our fight is to understand the stakes. We need to understand the stakes. What are we facing when we think about church ministry? You know, when you plan the ministry year, or as you gather for worship, when, Lord willing, next year you break ground on that uh, blueprint that's on the wall of Cabot's office. What is really at stake here? Well, put simply, the stakes of ministry are unspeakably high. That's what Paul communicates to us in this chapter. According to 1 Timothy 6, whenever we, as church people, engage in ministry, we're fighting for three things. 
We're fighting for our church. We're fighting for our souls. We're fighting for our futures. Let's look at these three things. You are fighting for your church family. Every day, the stability and unity of LifeSpring Church is at risk. We see that in verses 2 through 5. You know, what's happening in these verses? People within the church at Ephesus, people in Timothy's church, they're part of a local body, but they don't understand right doctrine, and they're causing disintegration within the local church. Listen again to the end of verse, verses really 3 through 5. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and think that godliness is a means to financial gain. These are people in the local body. They are puffed up and ignorant. They cause division and disunity. These people are having horrifying relational effects within a church, but it gets worse. You see in verses 9 and 10, here we read, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. <clears throat> so here the love of money is actually eating people away from the inside. People within a local church can be consumed with desires that ultimately lead to ruin and destruction. I mean, that's a challenging image that a local church has to look right in the face. You know, it's as if at any time someone could kind of release an, an odorless gas in this room that would turn us all into the worst versions of ourselves. Suddenly, we can become a bickering, backstabbing, deceiving group. And how long is this church going to have a gospel uh, light in the community if that describes us? On any given day, it could all come crashing down. So the question is, did you drive here today with a gas mask in your trunk, figuratively speaking? You know, are you always guarding against this potential? And the stakes are high. Doing church ministry means you're constantly fighting for your church. It also means you are fighting for your soul. Listen to verses 11 and 12 and hear them from the perspective of a battle for personal godliness. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. These verses call Christian leaders to integrity. And we've seen this before. Remember in 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul says to Timothy, watch your life and watch your doctrine. 
But here in chapter 6, verse 11 is shocking. And here's why. It flows immediately after verses 3 through 10. The implication is that if leaders don't fight for their souls, we will be prone to produce the destruction and the division that we just read about. The one who might release that odorless gas, it's us. That's sobering. Ministering doesn't just mean that we bring a gas mask in our car so we can fight for our church. It means we're constantly submitting to an x-ray machine because the problem is inside of us. If we're not careful in ministry, we can find ourselves drifting downstream, our souls cast off far from where we want to be. I mean, the stakes of ministry are very high. We're fighting for our church. We're fighting for our souls. We're also fighting for our eternal reward. Notice how often eternity, immortality, Christ's return, and the future are mentioned in verses 12 through 19. Verse 12, take hold of eternal life. Verse 14, keep the command unstained until the appearing of Christ. Verse 16, Christ alone has immortality. Verses 17 and 19, the riches of this present age are contrasted with the eternal treasures that are being stored up for future age when we take hold of eternal life. Friends, the consequences, the eternal consequences of our service can never be far from our minds when we're doing ministry. This is absolutely essential. And it's because faithful ministry doesn't always result in fruit we can see. Sometimes our labor is intense and our tears are many, but our progress for the gospel is slow. And we wonder, is it worth it? Is ministry worth giving our lives to? Brothers and sisters, Paul wants us to understand. God says to us through his word, it is. We cannot give up. This is part of our battle, believing that ministry is winning an eternal reward that we can't even see, but that we will taste forever when we are with Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, what does it mean to be involved with church leadership? It means you're in a battle. You're fighting for your church, for your soul, for your future. The stakes could not be any higher for those of us in this room. So how do we do this? How do we fight the good fight of faith? Well, the first aspect is that we understand the stakes. The second aspect is to know the tactics, to know the tactics. You know, when you read 1 Timothy 6, you'll find a series of commands that Paul gives to Timothy. These are really exhortations to Christian leaders. And if we follow them, we can see the tactics we are to use if we fight the good fight of faith. We can summarize these tactics using four words that are drawn from a military context. They are train, flee, 
advance, and defend. These are the tactics of ministry. Train, flee, advance, defend. Let's look at each one of these tactics. First, train. As Christian leaders, we are called to train others, particularly in sound doctrine and godliness. Notice this tactic in verse 2, where Timothy is to teach and urge these things. It's also in verse 17, where Timothy is to charge or instruct the rich who are haughty and putting their hope in this world. We understand this. If you're in wartime, there will be no victory if your skills are not sharp. There will be no victory if you are not training new recruits. People need skills and knowledge to contribute to the victory. Maybe you know the story of Mulan. <clears throat> China is attacked and the emperor recruits new soldiers, so Mulan volunteers. And a big part of the story is her being trained to fight. This is what happens during wartime. Brothers and sisters, you are called to know the truth, and you are called to train others in the truth. You are called to godliness, and you are called to train others in godliness. Training is our first tactic in fighting the good fight of faith. Second, flee. As Christian leaders, one of the most important tactics we have is to flee. Notice this in verse 11, where Timothy is to flee the dissension and the gossip and the greed that Paul's been writing about in verses 3 through 10. We also see this tactic in verse 20, where Timothy is to avoid or turn away from the babble and the contradictions of false knowledge. Fighting the good fight means that sometimes we turn around and run the other way. Sometimes we don't engage directly. We're wiser to avoid it and engage another way or another day. This is a tactic in which we need a lot of wisdom. You know, Timothy is told, on the one hand, to flee sin and avoid false knowledge, yet he's also told to confront sin and counter false knowledge. So fleeing doesn't necessarily mean we abandon the battle, but it means we are careful and we don't set ourselves up for trouble in ministry. <clears throat> Recently, a pastor told me a story. Someone in his church had some false ideas about God. So my pastor friend knew he had to confront that false doctrine and, and seek to teach gently. But he was careful not to go and meet the person alone. He didn't want to be exposed to false teaching without support, without someone who could steady him in the truth. Friends, ministry in church is a battle, and sometimes that means fleeing situations that would compromise our witness, weaken our faith, or expose us to attack. Third, advance. We will flee some things as we fight, but we will also advance 
toward some things as we fight. We will go on the offensive. This is our third tactic in fighting the good fight of faith. We see this in verses 11 and 12. Paul gives three exhortations. You know, pursue righteousness as it's listed there. Fight, which we're unpacking, and take hold of. These are all proactive, offensive kinds, going on the offensive kinds of exhortations to us. <clears throat> Friends, fighting this battle of ministry means we're going after certain things. And first, we're going after personal godliness, cultivating our own walk with the Lord. There's no substitute for this in ministry. Ministry is an overflow of our own walk with Jesus. He's the vine. We are the branches. You know, if you are not connected to Jesus, if you're not being refreshed by His Spirit, if you're not meeting consistently with Him in the Word and prayer, you know, what do you have to offer God's people or this world? That's like entering battle without any communication or orientation from your commanding officer. It would be a disaster for you and for the cause. So doing ministry with this wartime mentality means you're going after personal holiness. And as God gives you victory in your own soul, you will advance his purposes through you. We go after godliness. We also go after victory. You know, we don't give up. We stay engaged with gospel outreach, ministry to the community, worship with our brothers and sisters. We don't stagnate. We don't stop. We are called to take hold of this eternal life to which we're called. Matthew Henry says about verse 13, <clears throat> eternal life is the crown proposed to us, and we must lay hold of this crown as those who are afraid of coming short of it and losing it. Lay hold and take heed of losing your hold. Hold fast to that which you have, that no man may take your crown. So ministry is a battle. We will be bruised. We will even be crushed. But we fix our eyes on the prize, even as Jesus fixed his eyes on the joy that was set before him. We advance and go forward in serving the Lord. This is how we fight the good fight of faith. Fourth, defend. Our final tactic is defend. The image here is, is huddling around something that is of immense value. We're not going to let them take the hill. We will hold this ground no matter what. That's defense. And we see this tactic in verse 14, where Timothy is to keep the command unstained and pure. This is referring really to all that is involved with Christian leadership. Everything that Paul has charged Timothy in this whole book, Timothy is to keep it, as it were, pristine and unstained. He's to defend the purity of this vision of Christian leadership. It's not to be sullied or polluted by unfaithful living or half-hearted fulfillment. We also see this tactic of defend in verse 20, where Timothy is to guard the deposit entrusted to him. This is about guarding the right doctrine 
that Paul has taught and that we have received as it's been passed down to us in Scripture. <clears throat> you know, some of you may know the story of the three musketeers. The musketeers were actually the personal bodyguard of the king of France, first established by Louis XIII in 1622. And this period of history in Europe was full of coups and assassination attempts. In fact, Louis XIII's father was killed by an assassin. Uh, the musketeers were charged with defending the king and his family, even to death. So friends, as we engage in ministry, we are called to defend orthodoxy no matter what. We are to safeguard the truth that God has given us in his word. <clears throat> So this is 1 Timothy 6. We have seen that Christian leaders must view ministry as a battle. We've seen the stakes. We're fighting for our church, for our souls, for our futures. And we reviewed our tactics here in this chapter. We train, we flee, we advance, we defend, we give our lives to this call. We never give up. but we can't stop here. Friends, if, if this is where the sermon ends, you know, if this is the end of the story today, this message is not good news for us. I mean, this is crushing. A wartime mentality is crushing. Maybe you know the psychological realities of living in an active war zone. Maybe you know someone who's experienced it. I mean, danger at every turn, daily casualties, relentless intensity, overwhelming emotions. People who live in war zones come back with PTSD, right? I mean, this is horrific. So what, what are we supposed to think at the end of this chapter? Are we really called to live like this? I mean, how do we handle this stark vision of ministry? And this is what brings us to the final aspect of our fight as Christian leaders. We've seen the stakes. And we've reviewed the tactics. The final aspect of our fight is to look to our champion, Jesus. We must consider Jesus. Listen, we can't do any of the things we've talked about in our own strength. Let's just acknowledge that right now. If this battle that we've been talking about, the battle for life spring, for spring grove is up to us, the stakes are too high. Our enemies are too strong. I mean, we need to give up. In fact, nothing could be more deadly to this battle or damaging to our witness than to believe we can do everything in this chapter described in our own strength. I mean, imagine for a moment if we could. Imagine if we steeled our resolve and said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to embrace this wartime mentality and ministry. I'm going to consider the stakes and use the tactics. I'm going to advance the gospel. And imagine if you do, you're successful. Well, what's the result? Well, first, pride. 
you're going to look in the mirror and say, wow, good for me. I'm doing this. I'm the one. Second, judgment. You're going to look around at those who are failing or falling short and say, ugh, they're pathetic. They've got to get it together. They should be more like me. Third, fear. I mean, eventually in your heart, you're going to wonder if you can keep it up. And fourth, hate. Eventually you will fall short and you'll hate yourself for not showing the commitment that you want, or you'll hate God who says, who you'll say is holding you to impossible standards. So thanks be to God. If you do this in your own strength, if you try and accomplish all this with your own resolve and you truly hold yourself to 1 Timothy 6, you will fail spectacularly. And that would be God's grace to you. I mean, brothers and sisters, we have got to realize we can't do this. We cannot do this. We have to realize our great need, our desperate need as Christians. We need a champion who can do this, who has won the war. We need one who has triumphed, who has overcome. We need Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the champion of every believer. He has gone before us. He has conquered. He has fundamentally changed the nature of the battle of ministry. Let me tell you what 1 Timothy 6 means because of Jesus. Let me tell you about the rhythm of ministry because of him. We turn and we see the stakes. They're high. The battle will take everything. And then we turn to Jesus. And we see the stakes were driven into his hands. He has given everything. And then we turn back to ministry. And we step forward in courage because he has won the war. Brothers and sisters, here is the rhythm of ministry because of Jesus. We review the tactics. We see what's necessary. We ask, how can we endure? And then we turn to Jesus, and we see he has done all that is necessary. And he has endured even to the end. And then we turn back to ministry. And we step forward with courage because he has won the victory. And when we forget, <laughs> when we depend on ourselves and, and start to feel overwhelmed with ministry, or when we forget the urgency and are dulled by this world, we turn again and we look at Jesus. We fix our eyes on him. We remember his life and his death, and his triumph, what he paid, his resolve. And then we turn to ministry, utterly dependent on his strength, utterly relying on his power. Friends, Christ changes everything for Christian leaders. So this is God's word for us today. Know 
what ministry stakes are, but rely on Christ. Know the tactics that you will use to move the gospel forward in Spring Grove, but rely on Christ. He is the Savior who offers hope to every sinner. He is the champion who wins peace for every warrior. And Life Spring Church, may he lead you as you advance the gospel, and may he be your strength in all you face. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, when we first look at all you call us to in obedience, truly it is overwhelming. And yet, Lord, we have felt you pour strength and resolve into our hearts, not because of our own capacities this morning, not because we have trust in ourselves, but because of what you, Jesus, our Savior, has done and because of who you are. Oh, God, we rely on you. Jesus, we pray that you would teach us to depend on you, to walk forward with courage in your strength, relying on you to glorify your name through us and to build your kingdom in this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.